Welcome to the Sisterhood Hour Conversations podcast. Our conversations here will be an extension of the weekly Sisterhood Hour Twitter chat that takes place every Wednesday at 1pm CAT. Join my guests and I as we delve into the topics that impact us as women and explore the unique and sometimes similar life journeys that we're all on. The emphasis of the show is to empower, share experiences, as well as the lessons. It is not about excluding men. They are welcome to join conversation by not only listening and subscribing to this podcast, but by also being part of the positive movement in society to encourage healthier relationships with each other as partners, fathers, brothers, and friends. Sisterhood Our Conversations is a space that belongs to us as women, where we can be real and honest about our experiences, the past and present ones, as we plan and move forward to where we want to go and achieve what we want to. Join Sisterhood Our Conversations, where as women we are learning and growing, we challenge the status quo as we change the narrative through action, conversation and empowerment. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to Sisterhood Hour Conversations, the podcast. I'm your host, Pumeza Langa. On today's episode, I'm in conversation with Amazi co-creator and CEO of the Amazi group of companies, Divya Vasand. In August this year, Amazi launched its Virtual Knowledge Hub, an online learning platform tailored to suit the needs of South African women keen to pursue their entrepreneurial dreams. Apart from talking about the hub, we learned more about her. The woman, pioneer, social entrepreneur, feminist after my own heart and an advocate for women of color and i learned some eye-opening facts about the battle faced by small businesses who are just trying to get into a space in the market to provide their products and services divya says that from a very young age she realized that women have infinite potential and the only thing limiting their potential was the patriarchal society that they are born into through her own journey and experiences she's proving time and again what a powerful force she is Enjoy this episode. But Divya Vasant, thank you so much for joining us in Sisterhood Hour Conversations, the podcast. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. But before we get started, please, the introductions, please introduce yourself to, to my listeners. Well, thank you so much for having me. Um, my name is Divya. I am a ardent feminist um, and a true believer that the future really is feminist. Mm-hmm. I am a social entrepreneur. I started my own social enterprise just over three years ago now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm passionate about figuring out how we can create organizations that champion real inclusive growth um, Mm. that create value for the collective in a way where we can really figure out how to tackle equality um, realistically together, you know? So um, yeah, I'm an economist by, I suppose, qualification and training, but Mm -hmm. really I think the passion, my passion and my purpose is to figure out how to apply economic frameworks to create growth models and um, business models that will 
I think completely reimagine yeah. how we exist. Sure. That's, so that's me. <laughs> I, I love how you, you've taken your training and you've switched it up because, I mean, when you think economist and you're thinking the studies and you're thinking the training that goes into it um, as a career, and then you talk about what you do, you're like, mm, the two kind of... Uh, a bit opposite um, in a sense so I mean look we live in a capitalist society and, and I think for for me from what I've seen this year um, with COVID hitting it's really shown how capitalism is I don't want to say like the the foundation of our existence mm. um, but it's such a big part of our lives and then when you look at the the fact that people had to lean on each other mm -hmm. um, on a human to human level, it goes against capitalism. And you're thinking, but which, which one, which society do we want to create for ourselves? The one that where it's about people and caring about people while you're ensuring that everybody is uplifted and economically active and contributing positively, or is it just, you know, the rat race? So it's, oh, it's, it's quite an interesting time we're living in. I, I really, really think it's quite interesting. It really is. I mean, you know, to the point that you just raised, I think um, professions like economics and finance, they almost kind of dehumanize what is actually happening by creating all sorts of statistics, you know. Mm. Um, when we read headlines, uh, unemployment rates and... Yeah. Um, income inequality and all sorts of statistics that I think all of us are used to seeing on mm -hmm. News 24, you know, The Economist or wherever else we get our information from. Yes. It's so easy to forget that you form part of that statistic one way or another. So true. You know, uh, statistics are just a collective of human behavior and those statistics but it's so easy to remove yourself from that statistic and not figure out where you're located in those statistics mm. um, when you just look at them as numbers exactly. and you know that's that's for me where moving out of just studying the numbers yes. into figuring out how to change the numbers was really important sure that's, that's a quite a powerful statement and touching on the the numbers in terms of statistics and all of that but also um, specifically the work that you do um, as the founder of Amazi Beauty and the way that you've taken entrepreneurship and kind of flipped the script a little bit because the work with Amazi, it's about helping other women, um, especially women of color, to, to find their feet and to learn about business. And that's something that um, I, I want to say it is encouraged, but there never really is sort of like a blueprint to say mm. this these are the steps um these are the stumbling blocks this is how you can overcome those stumbling blocks this is how you can actually pay it forward because you're encouraged but you're like okay off you go good luck let us know how it goes like mm. be successful and then you just run and go for it and i love how with amazi it's about taking people along with you on the journey mm. and creating not only for yourself but for others so please share more about the beginning of, of Amazi how it started and where you are now 
So I, I, I started Amazi because there were two, there were really two things that I wanted to figure out mm-hmm. how to, I suppose, dream up. Because mm-hmm. like you said, you know, there, there are very few blueprints when you want to create something that mm-hmm. isn't the norm. There's, there's, there aren't any guidelines. And at the time, there were two dreams that I wanted to try and I suppose uh, keep bringing to life. Mm-hmm. Um, the first is I just believe that the way that we do business is wrong. Um, the way that we think about how to create commercial value is wrong. Yeah. Um, and what we've understood to be the model that takes a, a, an idea, a product, a service, and, and tries to bring it to a market and create a profit is flawed. And uh, I believe that every single business should be a social business. I think mm-hmm. even distinguishing between commercial businesses and social businesses is just incorrect. They shouldn't be separate categories. So I wanted to figure out in a very patriarchal, um, rigid, um, capitalistic economy such as ours, is it possible to dream up a way of creating a business that endeavors to make a profit, but does it with a completely different set of values? So that was the first reason for going on the Samazi journey. And the second reason was I wanted to create um, an organization that is built by women for women and only about women. And, you know, the reasoning behind that, it's so interesting. I'm constantly challenged about how creating a woman-only space is exclusionary. Um, What? Yeah, (laughs) constantly. I mean, In the patriarchal society uh, that we live in. How? How does that work? <laughs> it's, so, it's so interesting, you know, that, uh, I mean, small sidetrack. Um, I generally tend to get challenged on the idea of women-only spaces by uh, the older generation. Yes. And I, I, I you know, and, and I mean, the reason why I really wanted to create a woman-only organization mm. is because... I believe that there's a fundamental difference between transformation and inclusion. Yes. Transformation for me is, I suppose, the agenda and the focus that the prior generation had, um, just given kind of the history of our country and the the political and the economic landscape. Mm. And that very much was about figuring out how to infiltrate a system that was never designed for you and kind of patiently persevering and forcing your way into the system with the hopes that you then become the champion of change that can Mm -hmm. then rework the system from within. Yes. Um, And I personally don't think that that has resulted in real change. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, we don't even have to quote numbers to back that up. I think all of us see and feel it. Yes. No, it's absolutely right. Yeah. Um, And for me, inclusion is about creating an entirely new system, Mm -hmm. an entirely new ecosystem that is from concept and from birth 
created in the vision of you, um, mm. created with you being at the core, at the center of its existence. And that's a completely different ask. It's an mm-hmm. ask to dream up a way of existing and a way of being from your legal structure and how you incorporate to what you do, to who you do it with, yes. to how you work with people. It's, it's, it's almost saying, I don't think your handbook has worked and I'm going to write my own handbook. So Exactly. That was, you know, th- those were the two reasons I wanted to create my own space and my own organization. Mm-hmm. Um, and that birthed Damazi. So, um, yeah, it birthed kind of the beginnings of figuring out how to build the social business yeah. in a country where I think there's very little space mm-hmm. to to exist differently. Um and it was also the beginnings of birthing a woman-owned, woman-led, woman-only organization, which again, <laughs> in a country like ours. <laughs> not quite welcome. Not even not welcome, you know, not understood yeah. <laughs> and, and not seen as needed, which I think is the is sure. the where the most work needs to be done. The fact that people still don't see that this is really needed. And I think... A, a lot of what you're saying, I'm just like, in, in my heart, I'm like, amen, amen, amen. That is so true. Because <laughs> it's, it. I mean, like you've created, and the thing is, for me, one of the things that frustrates me quite a bit about the conversations about um, entrepreneurship, social entrepreneurship, getting women a seat at the table, you know, as the terminology goes and the inclusion, it's a lot of the time, it's a lot of words and speeches and you know, the, the catchphrases, but when it comes to supporting the people who are saying, this is what I've created, this is what I'm creating, um, the, this, these are the, the gaps that we've identified, this is how we would like the whole public-private government partnerships to come on board to say, hey, let's do this, we're supporting you, we're seeing what you're doing, good on you. I, I feel like that falls apart along the along the way and even just the, the broader conversation about entrepreneurship in the last couple of weeks I've just seen a lot of people especially on social media where they've just vented so much about the supposed support systems and structures that exist um, and you see the statement being made but then when they say as an entrepreneur, this is my struggle. I've gone to this platform, this platform. I've done this that was required of me a million times over, but nothing is happening. And then when you say those things, the, there's, no, there's no room and there's no encouragement of conversation to say, okay, wait, we're saying we want to support you. You're saying you see the support, but it's not practical Let's figure out how to make it practical so everybody wins. Um, so I think for me, like, what has been your main struggles, especially um, you've, you've touched on the, being a woman and be, creating a space that is for women and trying to get people to understand it, especially in the society that we live in. And a lot of the times, um, for me, when it comes to conversations about the old God, um, really gatekeeping, certain spaces and not wanting to change their thinking to change a different conversation to have a different conversation but they say yeah no no no, come through come through there's a seat at the table for you but Mm. I've found sometimes that even 
with the old guard when you go to them they look at you like but that's just a pipe dream mm. when you when you lay it out for them you're thinking but and you show them that this is what can be done and it is working and it is needed um what what is that reaction is because do they feel that okay no you're overstepping your territory a little bit or you're just coming up with the concept that they should have come up with or the world is not ready for or do they just think no you're just a young upstart you know what what yeah. has been the the, the 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 sense and the sentiment for you so you know there so there are so many things that you said that are worth unpacking um so we'll do a part first... two three and four of it <laughs> <laughs> yeah let's do it actually <laughs> Because I think there's just uh, the point that you raised about how many, many, many entrepreneurs, and especially over this time where, you know, mm. our economy has shut down, right? Yeah. A lot of a lot of people have thought about starting their entrepreneurial journey. Mm. Um, and many, many entrepreneurs, small businesses in, in South Africa just don't have the space and the support to survive. Yes. Um, and the reason being is, look, it does not matter how many proclamations a uh, mm. government makes about the number of small businesses they want to, to see started, the number of women-led businesses they want to see started. Yeah. The problem starts um, at, the, at the core of the system. You know, our infrastructure, our economic infrastructure our, our banking, our finance, our governance is all still very much set up to support an oligopoly. It's set up to support big, 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 big old companies. Yep. And big, old with money will always get preference, always. Um, and I mean, just speaking practically, um, if you look at for example, with, with the Amazi experience specifically, so with yeah. our model, we've got both a nonprofit company and a for-profit company that kind of sit side by side in our model. Yeah. Um, and they work together to bring in women into our ecosystem who don't have access to the skills, the finance, the support to further themselves. Mm. Um, and then we create opportunities for them to take the skills that we impart and actually earn an income through the for-profit side of what we do, which is our commercial spaces, um, our stores where we incubate women to become micro enterprises of their own yeah. uh, through, through offering beauty treatments, beauty services, beauty products to the general public. Okay. So, you know, just looking at that model and our experience of it, um, first, we, for the past three years, mm -hmm. we have struggled to get South African funding. Wow. Uh, up until very, very, very recently, we were purely funded by international funders. Sure. You know, so that's yeah. the first. And, and we're not the only social enterprise, the only business who has this kind of story. There are many, many, many startups that I know of who are unable to tap into South African funding to get their idea off the ground. Um, problem number one, and again, when you look at uh, kind of, as you said, the gatekeepers of money in this country, mm -hmm. 
as much as people say, oh, we really want to fund small businesses, we want to fund startups, unfortunately, the money doesn't come to yes. small businesses and startups. It still goes towards financing people who've proven five years worth of <laughs> worth of trade. Yeah. You know, um, and, and again, money is biased towards the big old entrenched companies. So, you know, just our, our lived experience shows that and, and even just figuring out how to get money to support our idea and support our model mm -hmm. and help us grow. We've experienced that it doesn't matter how much South African funders say that they really, really want to get their heads around trying to figure out how to fund South African startups. Yes. They're not doing it. Um, not in a meaningful way. Um, usually it takes a whole host of international funders to get you to a point where you're three years in, mm. um, you've got a good track record, you've proven traction, and then you'll start seeing South African funds slowly taking Tricky. an interest yeah. in you. So, you know, that's, that's one way. And then the second way is with our commercial spaces, we obviously, we take up spaces in, in malls and other commercial environments where we hope um, it will be easy and, and um, accessible for consumers to come in and support our entrepreneurs. Mm. So we've got to negotiate leases, right? And mm. We're, we're trying to negotiate to get space to do what we need to do up against your massive retailers. Yeah, the big ones. And, you know, something that a lot of people don't know is that it's businesses like Amazi mm -hmm. that subsidize businesses like Woolworths, Pick and Pay, Truitts, the big retailers. We pay mm -hmm. on average, we pay on average five to ten times the rental as they do as they do what? um yeah yeah i mean you oh, know small small tiny tiny businesses who really need that space to access market yeah. end up paying the types of rentals that firstly keep them in survivalist mode. They can never get to profit generation because all they're doing is oh, working to pay their rental. Yes. Um, and then when you look at the rental that these big retailers are paying, you know, some of them are paying zero rental in some of the spaces we're in. Um, and, wow. and some of them are paying minimal rental. And uh, again, when you look at wow. the structure of it, what's happening, it's the really small guys who are battling to get oh, into the market battling to get access to the consumer who again end up subsidizing these massive entrenched companies that have dominated wow. for so long and all it does is it perpetuates that system where big and old always succeeds um wow. and you know it, it, it even when you got when you, when you walk around commercial spaces walk mm. around malls how many small up-and-coming brands do you see Oh, yeah okay right yeah. so gaining access to space is is almost impossible because the big and the old mm -hmm. with money are always favored um mm. and so the only way we start changing things is if we actually just change the system the big and the old and the entrenched yeah. should be subsidizing the, the small mm. and the up and coming exactly but how, um, how, is if, that, how is that, sorry to, to, to jump in there, yeah. but like, 
how is that not even happening? How is that not even something that is making sense in someone's mind? Because if you're the 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 older and bigger organizations that are entrenched, you should be thinking, oh, okay, wait, hang on a second. Here is a up and coming, really strong um, business. It just needs a bit of space. Um, like, how is that not even a thing of? It, it makes sense to support the smaller guy because it's not a case of you the competition. It's I don't. I, wow. Okay. No, it's, <laughs> honestly, like as it's you, our it's our incentive system. So as a country, yeah, um, we're not incentivizing the the shift in the concentration of economic power. We're yeah. just not, and that comes. You know, that's right at the foundational phase that's mm. in our tax systems and our finance systems. We're just not incentivizing for smaller to grow, for smaller to start. Um, you know, you if start we to were. survive and keep. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. If we were, we would look at these kinds of fundamental bottlenecks like access to space and access to market. And we would mandate that property companies need to make sure mm. that the way that they rent, the way that they charge, the way that they price clearly redistributes the mm. burden yes. to the bigger guys so that the smaller guys can start infiltrating the market. And that's the problem is sure. when you look at all of our pricing systems, if you look at our tax system as mm -hmm. well, we're not redistributing where the pricing burden for trying to break into the market should be. Yeah. We're saying we want more small businesses, more women-led businesses, but we're not changing the system yes. to allow for the people who've already had access to the system for a long time to start taking on some of that risk and some yes. of that, um, that pricing burden to let the smaller guys start coming in. And, Sure. You know, even with something like tax, we say, you know, we want, I think I saw something uh, a couple of weeks ago that said that the government wants something like 10,000 new woman-owned businesses in the next couple of years. Um, I think it's amazing to have that goal, but yeah. to be honest with you, it's actually pointless. Um, yeah. As a woman-owned business, I am, I am angry that mm. I get taxed the same as a, as a male owned enterprise. And I'll tell you why. Um, I believe I should get a tax rebate and I think yes. male owned businesses should be taxed more than me because in general, in the economy, I am priced as less credible than my male counterparts. Yeah. So if I look at the, the way that the insurance companies price my business, yes. if I look at the way landlords price my business, if I look at the way banks and their finance facilities and their overdrafts price my business, they're all mm. charging me a higher price as a result of being a woman. It's built into it's their pricing. So, so I'm already bearing pricing burdens across the board just from running a business exactly. as a woman-owned enterprise. And then SARS comes along and says to me, on top of that, on top of the additional pricing burden you already bear, mm. I'm going to tax you the same as your male counterparts. So good luck so, surviving, for surviving that. Exactly. 
So good luck surviving that. And that's the problem is wow. until we actually start changing our incentive structures mm. to match what we say we want to achieve, if we want more women-led businesses, yep. we need to change how they are taxed and funded and priced so that they're incentivized to create and survive. And that's not happening. So mm -hmm. I think being an entrepreneur, being a woman owned, woman-led, woman-only organization mm -hmm. is, it's the same as, I, I, I think you, you take on the, the role of, of activist for what you do, because yes. it's, a, it's a struggle and a fight in every conversation and every negotiation and yeah, every yeah. space that you step into. Because you're trying to get people to understand what it is that you're about and how they need to also come to the party to support you. Absolutely. It's a lot. It's, you know, it's, a, it's lot. a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. Like, even as you're talking now, I'm just like, oh, my word. It's, it's I think it's, it's also the, the part about the entrepreneurship journey that at times is not shared a lot of the time. And I think maybe it, it could be a case of by the time you as an entrepreneur, you get to a point where you've made sense of one day in your journey. I'm sure you're just like so depleted. And then when someone asks you what entrepreneurship la is like and they want to start it, you want to look at them and be like, girl, run. <laughs> <laughs> well, um <laughs> Well, I mean, it's so interesting you say that because I think last year sometime, um, yeah. I was asked to um, contribute to an article about why more young South Africans mm. should be entrepreneurs. Okay. And I declined. Um, really? Because, yeah, because my opinion is that based on the way this economy is set up, mm. we shouldn't be encouraging young people into entrepreneurship. Sure. Okay. Because, yeah. uh, how, you know, right now, in order to try and find some sort of financial stability, mm. entrepreneurship isn't, it, it doesn't have the right systemic support. Yeah. Um, and, and, and a young person who's just kind of finished studying and needs yeah. to still find a way to build up some sort of financial buffer, financial saving, long-term kind of pool. Uh, entrepreneurship is a very difficult road to, to kind of walk down. Yeah. Um, so I think it's a, it's, it's difficult. I mean, I know that it sounds really nice to, you know, put on your social media and uh, wherever else it sounds nice to encourage young people to yeah. walk this road but the reality I think if you had to exactly if you yeah. had to think about it I mean would I encourage a 21 year old young black woman who's you know literally just finished her, her studying mm. would I encourage her to start this no <laughs> sure. I, I wouldn't <laughs> you'd be like mm -mm, honey Disney. Because until no, exactly, mm. I'd be like, look, until um, the CIPC and SARS and our banking systems mm. recognize that you need to be supported and incentivized, yeah. how can I ask you to take this on? Because this is taking on a fight and a struggle. It's not taking on a career. 
if you're wanting to be a female entrepreneur in South Africa, you are signing up to to fight constantly. <laughs> no, that constantly, constantly fight. But speaking yeah. about the 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 learnings for that, I mean, that you've gone through, and other women that you have gone through, you've recently launched the the virtual knowledge hub, which is a space for women to learn the business, um, the business knowledge and skills. Um, that they're going to need in their particular journey. I mean, how how did that start? Um, what was the idea behind it? And to make it come alive, because I believe that you you wrote the content yourself. Um, your, yeah. Yourself and Lisa, you sat down and you're like, okay, we're going to do this. And I, I can imagine the intention behind it. I mean, for me, I'm guessing it's a case of, you want to read, you want a woman who's going to look at this to recognize themselves in it. And when they're reading it, they know that the person who wrote it has been on that journey. So they're not just selling them a pipe dream. And like, it's, it's not like a whole rah, rah, you can do it. But it's the real practical truth behind yeah, the journey. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So we um we basically launched our online learning platform mm-hmm. um called uh the Amazi virtual hub mm-hmm. um last month and it it really came out of a very deep reflection for mm-hmm. Lisa my co-founder and myself mm-hmm. as well as the rest of our team mm-hmm. um where you know, as we, uh, with everybody else, as we started asking some existential questions, mm-hmm. just going through this shutdown, um, one of the things that kept coming up for us is in speaking to women who had lost jobs, women mm-hmm. who had lost income opportunities, women who were trying to figure out whether or not uh, they wanted to start this entrepreneurial journey, yeah. we realized that our lived experience as women entrepreneurs over the past three years is so incredibly important to share. Um, You know, we, Lisa and I have been in our own individual capacities as well as through Amazi, we've been mentoring women for years now. Mm. And um, those mentoring conversations are just a a platform to share what we've learned and share Mm. our journey. Mm. So, you know, I think just those conversations, asking women, what do you think you need right now as we mm. navigate this complete change yeah. in our world? What what do you need? You know, I think we reached out to a total of about 300 women. Wow. Um, some in our network, some who we'd never met and mm. just posed the question, what do you need? Almost every single one of them came back saying, I just want access to information. I want access to the information that can help me figure out how to become more self-sufficient, that can help me figure out how to invest in myself, Mm -hmm. that can help me figure out how to take this idea that I've had in the back of my head for three years, five years, 10 years now, um, and actually bring it to life. And, you know, just sitting with that feedback and thinking through it, you know, Lisa and I discussed that we have cumulative experience between mm-hmm. the two of us that needs to be shared. Yes. And the, the insecurities that we both have around 
is what we have to share even relevant? Is it um, even valuable? You know, we, we, we're not, uh, I suppose, formally qualified in the way uh, other people who write about entrepreneurship are. <laughs> I get what um, you mean, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. We, we, we don't have reams of academic yeah. uh, qualifications next to our names. Um, how, how would people receive us writing about our experience and our take on entrepreneurship? Because nothing comes from a textbook. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And, and putting it out into the world. And we, you know, we just had, I think, honest conversation to say, this is important for us to get over, mm -hmm. especially as women of color, you know, ingrained in us is this inferiority complex mm -hmm. about whether our ideas and our original thought is worthy. Sure. Um, we've always been taught that, you know, get to your PhD. Yes. Uh, and once you have your PhD, sure, start publishing your thoughts, right? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, and, and, that's something that we both decided that we wanted to deliberately challenge. Wow. Um, so the reason that the, the two of us, as well as our team, mm. sat down and actually wrote every single one of the over 300 slides of information on that virtual hub yeah. is because, one, we want to challenge our own insecurities around whether or not our thoughts are worth putting out into the world. Sure. Um, and two, we want to be able to offer our stories in a very practical, very real way mm -hmm. for any woman who's trying to navigate finding a starting point for her idea, yes. uh, women who are trying to learn more about themselves and are struggling to figure out how to deal with their own narratives that keep holding them back. Um, women who just want to be able to enter into a space of learning and reflection. So mm -hmm. yeah, the virtual hub is basically the way that we've designed it is it is an interactive digital community. Mm -hmm. The way in which we present our our learnings and, and the information is bite-sized. Okay. It's conversational because we want the, the person to feel like they're actually having a conversation with us. Mm -hmm. um, it's full of kind of practical exercises that allow you to reflect on something that we've just posed uh, a, a, a question, mm -hmm. a topic. Um, and the way in which you interact on the platform as well is, is not just through writing. I mean, you could upload a voice note, you can upload a video. Oh, wow. um, because again, what we really wanted to figure out is how to provide a space for women to interact and learn mm. in a way that's comfortable for them. Um, and, you know, lastly, I mean, we really wanted to create a digital community. So the platform has a virtual calendar of events where we basically, um, any, any learner on the platform can sign up to any event and we host interactive workshops, okay. Zoom sessions, check-ins through that, through that calendar as well. So sure. it really is a community of learning. Um, in a way, I think that learning should be, which mm. is on your own terms. Yes. At your own pace. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, there's nothing 
there's nothing that resembles a formal learning institution because mm -hmm. we're not a university, we're not a Technicon. <laughs> um, it's, it's literally a digital storytelling space. That's what it is. Wow, I love that. I, and I think in the, in the times that we're in, it's, uh, it's not even about how many like degrees and qualifications and are you at PhD level? It's you want to, as you're saying, you want to be able to connect with somebody who, who speaks to you. Um, you're not being spoken at you know, it's it's more of a conversation. It's more of a, you're sharing that knowledge. You you're checking in with one another. It's not just you getting pumped with information and good luck to you. What you do with that information, and I think that's the beautiful thing about the the virtual knowledge hub. It's about you really want to connect with the individual women who are in there, but you're also allowing them the opportunity to connect with each other in a very meaningful manner. Um, and that's, I think that's the, the, the powerful part about the hub, apart from all the other aspects that you've mentioned about it. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And are, that is exactly the intention. And I mean, I think um, it, it kind of is, is similar to the intention behind your own platform and your podcast, you know, um, it, it really is about just, putting your stories out there and trying to share information so that it lands with somebody who mm. is on a journey and who needs to, to hear that somebody else has navigated something similar or yes. uh, needs to be able to learn from somebody else's lived experience. And I think what's great about it is I've always believed that we learn from everybody. Yes. Um, and I think finally we're starting to challenge the assumption that you can only learn from formal places or qualified people. Um, finally, we're starting to see podcasts, platforms, yeah. people sharing and it being a space of both learning and affirmation. Yes. You know? um, so, yeah, we're very excited about the virtual hub. Um, we have worked really hard to also make it affordable because again, I don't think signing up for a course that starts teaching you the basics on, uh, of entrepreneurship and the principles of entrepreneurship should be egregiously expensive. Yes. <laughs> Ideally not. No. <laughs> Ideally not. Right. So, um, we've really tried to keep all of our learning modules as affordable as possible. Um, yes. but we feel that the content of those modules is practical and mm -hmm. it, it's, it's the intention is that once you go through those modules, you actually really do have the tools and the knowledge that you need to, to start. Mm -hmm. um, and hopefully the more women we see uh, taking up our entering entrepreneurship learning paths and enter entering entrepreneurship packages, yes. the more we see women actually backing themselves and starting up their ideas, because that is the intention. The intention is to be able to find the learning, the support yeah. that you need to back yourself. And that's, and that, and that backing goes a long way. It goes a very, oh, very yeah, no, absolutely. yeah. I mean, you really are your best assets. You really, really are. I mean, it's taken a lot of us. It's taken <laughs> yeah. COVID, um, mm -hmm. 
the shutdown, um, losing jobs, yeah. losing relationships, yeah. um, losing homes. It, it's taken a lot of us the most to realize that we are our best assets. Sure. No, it, ooh, girl. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a lot you just said. <laughs> I know, I, I know that. I know you relate. I, no, I, I, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think one of the things that, I mean, I've been, before we even started, you know, chatting and I'd reach out to you, I've been following the Amazi journey and seeing what you do and the stories behind it. And it just fascinated me that, yes, you're in the, in the, in the, in the beauty space, but it wasn't just the, the physical, you know, it was that relationship that you're creating with the community of women um, who are part of Amazi and how you, you, as you say, like you, you are your best asset, but sometimes even you yourself, you don't realize that you, you end up trying to figure out, okay, you know, which direction should I be going in and all those things and all these external voices. And then eventually when you get to a point where you can connect with other women who have been on their own journey and they still continue on their journey there's something if it's an authentic and real um connection it just springs up so much and starts so much in terms of your own self-discovery your own journey and just trying to find your own spaces and i think even with the with sisterhood hour the twitter chats and the podcasts i mean I was saying to a friend of mine um, a few days ago that there's so much of sisterhood hour that I couldn't even have dreamt, you know, when it first started, um, that this is where I'd be now. But also on the flip side, there's so much that I've had to learn about myself, that I've had to unlearn about myself. And it, it's difficult to kind of like look in the mirror and be like, mm, okay, please, you know, um, what you're about, well, like, what's your story? Like, what are you doing with your, like, with your life? You're talking yeah. this talk in the bold streets of social media, but, you know, is it real? Is it true? Does it resonate? Is it really, you know, who you are on the inside? So that work, you know, I've had to do and still doing, and I think with um, COVID, mm. like a blessing and curse in different ways, <laughs> but um, it's, it's, it's had to really made me kind of like take a pause and be like, okay, Pumezo, what are you about? Um, what's your mission? What do you, what do you stand for? Like, where are you going? Like, you know, are you, are you being you in, in the best way possible? So I think that's why I, I really am drawn to what you do as Amazi and your own business journey. I think as an individual, I think you, you're quite phenomenal and the people that you've surrounded yourself with. Um, are equally amazing so I applaud you for that oh thank you and I mean it's it's just you know picking up on a on a point that you mentioned about the beauty industry Mm -hmm. um it you know I often say to people that Mm -hmm. um I never intended on on creating a model in the beauty industry uh obviously you know I, I I don't have any beauty qualifications myself yeah um, and economists typically typically don't dream about uh, <laughs> typically don't dream about creating things within the beauty industry. So, you know, I, 
and a lot of people kind of ask why beauty and mm. i think the easiest way for me to describe it is similar to what music did for uh. the revolution that needed to happen in america oh yeah so beauty has the potential to do for women particularly in south africa oh wow I think, you know, if you go back and you look at um, Soul Train yes. as an example, right? Yes. At the time, um, political messaging was mm -hmm. so important and yet so difficult. Mm -hmm. And the one thing people could rely on is the reach of music. Yes. You know, music is universal and yes. at the same time accessible. Um, and so music became this medium and this vehicle to yes. start communicating politically. Yes. Now, within South Africa, sure. women are the key to any kind of real revolution that we want, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. we've, we've spoken the whole, the whole time about how this is a patriarchal society. Yep. Um, <laughs> And it's, it's women and the, the liberation of women mm. in the way that they see themselves that are actually going to move the needle for us as a collective. Mm. And when you think about how do you start a conversation with a woman, mm. a, a, a woman who um, might not even have access to this podcast, or mm -hmm. uh, a, a woman who hasn't studied beyond school um, and is, is currently working somewhere as a, an unskilled, semi-skilled worker. Yes. How do you get her to start having a conversation with herself and start being a part of a conversation that is fundamentally important to changing the landscape for women in general, because that's the point, you know, mm. conversations around change and activism can't sit in boardrooms and they can't oh, sit. No. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? They can't yeah. sit in, in, um, in, in, in settings where they're only really qualified individuals kind mm. of hypothesizing about things. Um, okay. The conversations of change need to be conversations that are happening with with people and beauty is the platform and the tool that can do that for women for south african women for black women yeah so for me um i think we're only slowly now starting to wake up to what this industry really is this industry mm -hmm. is a tool for our revolution mm. And we're starting to slowly wake up to that. But I think that the potential to use this industry to have conversation, real conversation yes. with, with women is, yes. is what makes it appealing to me. Um, yes, I love that. And, you know, Lisa and I both feel super strongly about this. And, and mm -hmm. I think that's why in a lot of ways we're looking at how to completely challenge the entire value chain around beauty, you know, 
when you look at the very stale regulatory bodies that we have in this yes. beauty industry, mm -hmm. um, that kind of look at how to help the industry set up and, and how to help the industry kind of keep going. These are bodies that have the same people sitting in these seats for the past 20 years. Sure. Um, and they're old white men. <laughs> right and then you look at the people who actually work who who mm. are the people that work to provide beauty treatments yeah they're certainly not old white men mm -hmm. i can tell you that that would kind of be creepy that would be creepy and it would also be totally unrealistic exactly <laughs> <laughs> right um of the kind of sixty thousand people who are employed in this industry well hold up 60 how many 60,000. No way. Yes. And that's the other thing, right? Because beauty is, is gosh, it's, it's, it's made to be the superficial uh, thing that we yeah. don't interrogate, right? Yeah. But this is a massive industry and it's a very, it's a dormant industry. It's, it's being overlooked uh, and, and we don't take all of our rage around inclusivity to the beauty industry, do we? <laughs> mm -hmm. Only when something flares up, right? Oh, sure, right. So, then so we're kicking and screaming, and then after a while, we're like, okay, cool, uh, exactly. And then we yeah. don't challenge it. We don't yes. look at how how the industry is actually structured. But they're yes. probably, I mean, look from the latest count, there are about sixty thousand people employed in the industry, um, wow. of which. 45,000 are black women. Wow. <laughs> so. Wow. Okay, no, okay, actually, no, I'm being serious. I've, <laughs> I've, I've jotted down like three, four other topics that you and I need to talk about. <laughs> because, I mean, wow, Divya. Right. Sure. And, um, I mean, you can guess how many of those 45,000 women actually own mm. a part of this industry, as in own a business, yeah. own uh, shares, own yeah. whatever. Yeah. The, the, the answer is zero, by the way. Sure. So, again, right, we're, we're all yeah. going to overlook this fundamentally important industry mm. this is the industry that provides income opportunity to thousands and thousands of black yes. women and we're going to overlook it because the industry wants us to overlook it so that the order can remain for as long as possible we can't um, challenge the status quo can't yeah. challenge the status quo we don't think about challenging the status quo so beauty is a space of we, we need radical, radical people to start infiltrating the beauty space. Um, and that's why Lisa and I are here, right? Um, <laughs> we are grateful <laughs> that you are here. So grateful. Yeah. yeah. So no, beauty, um, why beauty? That's the reason why. Because it, it needs, we, we need to use this industry to bring about the revolution for black women. Yes. Um, that this country desperately needs, you know. It's no coincidence that we've had so many wise leaders in the past say to us that we're only liberated when women are liberated. Yes. And, you know, the future is, is only possible if it's led by women. Mm -hmm. Those aren't just awesome phrases to quote. Mm -hmm. that, that's true. The future is female. 
absolutely and the future is feminist actually totally agreed agreed like (laughs) loud and proud I mean look I think also like for me there there are times when um my feminism kind of like steps out of line a little bit but I think that's allowed um but even for me my journey with feminism like it's it's a sometimes a bit of a tug of war and even Mm. for me like to make sense of it in my head and define it for myself like there's it's that lifelong journey um, when the learning and unlearning takes place and being mom to a little girl, I'm just like, I'm going to raise you to be a feminist, sweetheart. <laughs> you oh. don't know it yet. But that's because I, it's, it, I think the, the word is so loaded, but obviously everybody has their own definition of it. But for me, mm. I'm just like, it's, it matters so much when a woman can just, stand on their own in whatever space that they want to be in they can safely stand on their own they can lift others up along with them and they can define their own existence without other people men especially or um, gatekeepers of patriarchy to to just to just let them be right and to safely let them be and whether it's it's the economy of it, it's the, the social aspects of it, it's the sexuality part of it. And there's just so much around it. And I mean, like you said, I think the beauty industry, there's it's it's rooted in that because it touches those different aspects of it. And if we can really tap into that space and have those conversations and shift um, the needle and challenge the status quo, we'll oh, the generation that comes after us, it's, they're going to be absolutely incredible. They're just going to ah, be this absolutely. unstoppable army. Absolutely. Absolutely. And oh. that's, that is, that is the mission is, oh. you know, uh, you know, the, and I know, I know we're almost out of time. So maybe you and I need to do, uh, we need to do another conversation. another conversation. We need to do another conversation. When you were speaking about, you know, how, everybody has a different definition of feminism. Mm -hmm. I think one of the most important um, insights for me, um, because I I was so fortunate to be on Mama Zanelli's fellowship. And there's something that she said to all of us, which I'll never forget. And Mm -hmm. that is that the opposite of patriarchy is matriarchy. Mm, this is true we often conflate that feminism is almost the fight against patriarchy which it is but it's not in order to establish the same type of dominance but for women yes it's actually a fight to establish women being equal players Mm. in 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 private spaces and public spaces so oh yeah you know it's I, i think that for me has always kind of been the guide in terms of how I think about the feminist movement mm-hmm. sure. um, but yeah it's it's I think there's there's a lot of learning and unlearning that we need to do and it's very difficult to do it without a tribe without a community exactly. um, so I think what's so fantastic about what you're doing is that you're creating that space you know that community and that that tribe for 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 women to be able to to learn and unlearn yeah. um, together. No, and it's powerful. It's necessary. I think we all 
I mean, what I do, what you do, what a lot of other women doing in their own spaces. And it's amazing when we recognize that in each other and we support one another because the more we do that, we reach a wider audience and we create a much bigger tribe. So I love it. I absolutely love it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I can't I can't actually believe that I've been speaking to you for an hour because it feels like I could just carry on speaking to you the entire day. <laughs> right. The thing is, like I think with COVID, um, with the lockdown, my first three um episodes has just like I mean, I listen to them now. I'm like, Pamela, y'all were talking for a really long time. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the beauty of it. When you connect with people on on a much deeper level, like it just feels like the, it's it's not a recording. It's not an interview. It's just conversation. It's it necessary conversation. But Divya, thank you so much for your time. Oh, thank you for having me. It it was amazing. And yeah, no, like I said, there, there, there's, there's notes I took down. So we're going to be chatting <laughs> again. We just need to get our diaries in order and just make this a regular, a regular catch up. We will oh, we'll have a catch up. It. It'll be a sisterhood hour conversations catch up. <laughs> I would love to. And yeah, thank just thank you so much for allowing me the space to share. It's always, I always find it such a privilege to be able to share with another woman. It's very yeah. cathartic. It feels like therapy yeah. to me. Yeah. So, thank you for my therapy hour. <laughs> You're most welcome. <laughs> just note, if the conversations get any deeper, girl, there'll be coffee and Kleenex and tissues and cake. Okay. Oh, got you. I, and I'm down for that. And then the next conversation after the coffee and the Kleenex can be bubbles. Oh, oh a girl after my own heart. <laughs> Love it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me. And thank I'm you. definitely, definitely making myself available for another conversation. Oh, thank you so much. I really, really appreciate that, Divya. It was an amazing conversation. And have an amazing day and a remainder of the week. Awesome. Thank you. Thank Chat you. soon. Awesome. Okay, cool. Awesome. Bye. Bye.